Hello and welcome to Babe Cave. I am Amanda Pollock and this is the Me Too episode. I want to start things off with a quote by Anne Lamott. She says, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. I found myself in the middle of a conversation the other day and it was all about the Me Too movement, which started when Alyssa Milano did a call to action of uh, any woman, person, human, who has been sexually harassed or assaulted. Um, and this was after the Harvey Weinstein story broke. And it was really a unifying statement that people could make so other people could know the gravity of the situation of sexual harassment and assault. And so I was in the middle of this conversation and something happened where I realized that not everyone knows the information that I do. Not everyone understands what sexual harassment and assault are. And I would hate for any one of you, Babe Cave, or any of your friends or people who you know, any human, to be in a room where you feel that people don't understand maybe what you've been through or someone who you know has been through. And I waited a little while to do this story, and it was when I was in that room in the middle of that conversation that I knew that I had a responsibility to talk about this. So you know that you are supported, because that is a key principle of Babe Cave, and I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I didn't talk about this. And I had to think about who I trusted to bring in on the conversation, because I believe that we should work with more facts. Um, and so I immediately thought of my friend, Aaron Richardson, who is a family counselor, uh, specifically dealing with um, children and teenagers dealing with trauma. And I am so thankful that she agreed to come on the show and talk with us about this. So Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I love being here and I really appreciate you um, just trusting me enough with this topic and even to be on this podcast is really special for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so this is a, a topic you and I have talked about a lot over the years. And yeah. I think that you know, maybe uh, we should, one of the questions I feel like that comes up all the time, well, recently, especially it seems almost every day, there is a story coming out about another sexual harassment or um, sexual assault from, you know, some high-powered Hollywood person or, you know, even people who you know. I feel like these stories are just coming more and more to light because people are making themselves aware but maybe we should start with what the definition of assault is, because I think it's very muddy for a lot of people. Yes, it definitely is. And even when I look at it, um, different law sites, things like that, talk about the definition of um, sexual assault. What's included in this kind of broad definition does include harassment, rape, but it's this, and then it's specifically for date also it goes into more detail so the fact that even every state doesn't come to an agreement about what the definition is that tells you right there that you're exactly right it is still muddy but the basic kind of definition the umbrella um, over all of these areas is just you know any unwanted sexual contact or behavior which is occurring without explicit consent so I think probably what also gets confusing for people is, well, what is and what isn't explicit consent? And there are different laws for that too, which I'm sure you can go into at another time. But, you know, the mentally disabled or the um, developmentally disabled, there's children, um, people under a certain age aren't able to consent. So those, those fall under this really broad term. Um, of the definition of sexual assault. So that's kind of what we have to go off of. I also think it's really interesting that people probably don't 
understand. And I recently just re-looked at the definition, you know, and it's exactly what you said, you know, any unwanted sexual contact or behavior without your explicit consent. And I think that a lot of people feel that assault, that is such a scary word, you know, to say that and to own it is such a scary thing. And I think that's why um, the Me Too movement for some people was very powerful. And I also want to say, if you were harassed or assaulted and did not take part in the Me Too movement, that is absolutely your right. And you don't owe anyone your story. You don't owe anyone anything. But if you felt that you needed to speak out about Me Too, I feel that it was a good step for some people to make to say this happened to me because I feel that the more we own that as a collective, then people would understand the gravity because it isn't a very powerful word. Right, right. And and don't you feel, I mean, when I look at the term sexual assault, even that is brings up confusing things because usually when you talk about things that are sexual, there's a positive element to that. But then right. you're pairing it with this word assault, you just said, super powerful. It's super like, this is a crime against me. And a sexual assault really has nothing to do with sex. It has to do with parts of your body. It's almost like, you know, because people are like, well, you know, he just wanted to have sex and I didn't. But an assault is, is forcing your power, forcing your will over another person. And that's not the positive definition of sexual really is a confusing pair of words to put together. And someday, maybe we'll find better words that describe this kind of assault. Yeah, I, and I think too, that's where I know, I know people who have, you know, briefly and, you know, passing in a conversation, spoken about something that has happened. And I'm like, that's not normal. And I think that a lot of, I I think that, you know, especially when you're in high school or, you know, college, early twenties, you know, you're still trying to figure things out. And when you're in an intimate position with someone, you want to do the quote unquote right thing, right? You know, like you, you don't want to be, you don't want to be the girl who says no. And you know, uh, you want to be the cool one or you feel, or you feel that, well, these other things felt okay. So maybe I didn't know what I was saying. And so I think that's where a lot of, right, right, right. I shouldn't have had another drink. I shouldn't have, you know, even gone to dinner. I should have, I shouldn't have let him up to my apartment. I think all of those things. Yes. The worst, Mm -hmm. worst, worst one is but I actually liked him. I know. I liked him. I had a crush on him. I thought he was cute. So there's that confusion again, where it's like, wait, I totally reacted to this guy and Mm -hmm. things suddenly turned. And I don't do with that because it's not like we've talked, you and I've talked about this. It's not like the crazy stranger man in the trench coat on the black street in the middle of the night when you're walking alone that jumped him assaults you hardly ever never almost the guy that you probably thought was cute at the party you flirted with you danced with you Mm -hmm. kissed him all things that are completely appropriate and then it switched where then it became Mm -hmm. like him asserting his will or her asserting Mm -hmm. her will over over you and that's when it turns and that's why it's so confusing because it's so it's so unpredictable. It's not something that you could have said, oh, I kind of thought that was going to happen, you know, in way when it was pitch black and there was a bunch of homeless, you know, like what you would see on right. TV or read about or um, things that maybe brains make more sense or are more predictable, even though that also is an extremely traumatic um, thing to experience. It, it mm-hmm. somehow makes more sense in our brain logic, but not the guy that you thought was cute at the party. You don't know how um, 
to absolve that. Like, how do I even move forward with that? Because certainly he wouldn't have assumed. I thought he was cute. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that it is a much higher percentage of it happening from someone who you know, love, or trust. And that's a hard thing to reconcile because I, it's exactly what you're saying. You know, it's easier to, well, you know, I was, I was attacked when I was walking to my car late at night. You know, I was, you know, what, um, one of the, when I was going to school in LA, I, everything was, most of the classrooms and everything were outdoors at, um, my, at my community college. And I remember there was a girl who, um, was attacked and raped in one of the bathrooms and it was early morning. It was probably, it was like around 6am. They had unlocked some of the bathrooms. And I remember when that story broke and I heard people say, well, you know, of course it's going to happen when you're in the bathroom all by yourself in the morning. And it's like, no, that's not, of course. That is no. a horrific thing to happen, but for some reason, it's a thing of, well, you know, they, it's acceptable in some perverted way because you associate that with things you've seen on television or, you know, movies where right. it has to be the stranger. It's the person, you know, who you have no connection with, who, you know, just wants to enact terror on people, but it's a much different thing when you maybe have to investigate the people who are around you and, you know, recognition right. can be scary for some people. Right. That's such a good point. I was thinking about that too, as far as, you know, I can't, t- isn't it crazy? Like if I were to go into a court with one of these girls and she was assaulted, maybe in a way that you just, and you're exactly right. There's, there's more of a quote acceptance of that kind of sexual assault. Like we know what to do with that. Right. You know, we know how to, that is a clear sexual, um, it's something that everybody will understand when you say, you know, oh, I was sexually assaulted by the stranger in the dark alley. Okay, there's an element where the majority of our society will be able to pretend what that looks like and what that means. Mm-hmm. Where they can't jump to other conclusions is, guess what? bad guy is your uncle the bad guy right. is your teacher at school the bad guy is the guy you thought was super cute you knew the guy living in your dorm I mean I remember when it was 18 when it happened to me and I had been volunteering with prevention crisis center at UC Davis and the first time I read this California state law that outlined what sexual assault was stunned. I was shocked because it's the first time that I saw it written down what had happened. And I I didn't know what to do with it because it didn't factor in these other areas. Like I knew the guy, you know, all of these things. And so, but there it was in black and white. And it was, it was, it was shocking to my system, to the way that my brain functioned. Um, but I imagine the case with a lot of women and men too. Right. Right. And I think there's a certain amount of rash, like rationalization that happens with certain things. But, you know, like you're describing, you read the California state law stating that what had happened and those things that happened to other people is not right. And there, there is no fudging of anything. You know, I think right. that, that, right. that's an important thing, too, of sometimes it is black and white and, you know, right. there was right and there was wrong. And I think it's hard for us to recognize, too, or accept that it was not our fault, which I feel like is, mm-hmm. and we've talked about, we've talked about this before of, you know, why people remain silent and, you know, how do you find people who you trust to tell about these things? Because, you know, there's even some, you know, when Me Too started, I had friends who were describing events and I never knew. And it made me so sad because I felt like I had 
in some ways failed and not failed, but you know, like you, right. You feel like there is some kind of responsibility to know what's happening in your friends' lives, or, you know, maybe I didn't notice some kind of behavior pattern and, you know, you can't right. put all of that on yourself. But I mean, did you see an influx of people recognizing things that had happened to them with me too? And uh, was For that sure. yeah. shocking? And I, I saw, you know, it was, and maybe I had a different reaction than you did when I did see this. It, it, it made me kind of well up with pride a little bit. Like, yeah. I was so yeah. proud, even though I knew, know that these things had happened to my friends, but the fact that they were able to just put hashtag me too, I was like, you, you, you get him, you know, one after the other. Yeah. And you're right. I felt with this tremendous amount of sadness and grief and loss for like, really, why did that have to happen? You know, right. people with all different backgrounds, all different professional degrees, all different life, family, everything was different except for the hashtag me too. And I hate that that's sometimes what unifies us. Um, because right. you did mention, you know, like, why do people sit, stay silent? Because if you just look at it on a piece of paper, the person who reports is essentially just looking at paper is responsible for whatever consequence feels on the person who assaulted them. We're going to argue right. that it was the person who assaulted that was his choice. That was her choice. And the consequences are there. But bottom line, again, on a piece of paper, so-and-so reported she took action, which means there's all this fallout. And the very hard thing for another person to do is be responsible for another person's kind of downfall, I guess, even though they were the one that, that committed the crime, that committed the right. act. It's hard to say okay, I'm going to be responsible for this guy getting kicked out of college. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's responsible for his own actions. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all of that. But if, if I would keep my mouth shut and just buck up and get through it and work through my stuff, then I won't have that kind of weighing on me that I... Right. That me, even though you look at it and you're like, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't somebody else. You know, that person chose to commit that crime, even if they didn't know it. And that's a lot of, too, I think I see in reports, things like that. Well, I didn't know, you know, from the person who assaulted. Okay, but that doesn't matter. Knew or, right. or not. You know, it would be like, well, I didn't know if stabbing them in the leg was actually going to cause them to end up in the hospital. Okay. Right. That's a bummer. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Too bad. Mm -hmm. That could be true. Maybe possibly. Or I didn't know that they stabbed them in the leg that that actually ended up killing them. Okay. That's, but it still did. Right. And you still exactly. have to pay the consequence for that action. Even if you didn't know that that's what was going to happen. It still did. Right. It still and happened. that's where too even with in terms of sexual harassment and that term is used more often in the workplace um, right. than any other, you know, but it is not if you deem something as sexual harassment, it is if an, a third party deems what is happening between you and another person, if they deem that right. as sexual harassment, which is an interesting thing because... Very interesting. You know, I I think some people don't realize that or recognize that. And in some ways, that's kind of some a, a safety and some, you know, if, if it's, if what is happening is true, you know, sometimes you can't see past you know, your boss or your coworker or whatever. And sometimes it takes a third party to say, I want you to know that that's not normal. Right. And right. And I'm going to take that responsibility on myself. I'm going to take it off of your shoulders and I'm going to do the hard thing. That's amazing. Mm hmm. And it's rare. And I think that's, um, 
you like what you were saying, because then you have a responsibility, then you have an onus and you have to hold whatever weight it is of the consequences of something that you didn't even do. So, you know, here a third party would be stepping in to, you know, so I think that's why, you know, people say, well, why didn't someone speak up? You know, why didn't someone say something? And it's like, well, our, we're not really set up to embrace someone being brave because there's always that first thought of, well, how can you prove it? How, how can, you know, and you can't for the most part, you you know, honestly can't, that's not a downer, but you're being truthful. The fact is a lot of time, probably most often, Mm -hmm. which sucks, which totally sucks. Um, I think for when something like this happens to a child, um, it is easier to prevent because percentage of children who miss, um, who false report is so incredibly, especially against member, it's almost like you just have to go into that. Um, and it often doesn't even take like a jury trial. The judge will go into that with the knowledge that the incidence of false reporting, which is like 9% for a child is mm-hmm. so incredibly low that you have to take that into consideration because putting a child on the stand, um, making through that is even more of a re-traumatization than an adult, even though that is also re-traumatizing. Um, and we're not even talking about the whole doing the rape kit. I, you know, I, oh, man, that there has to be another way. I know there's not, but it Uh is awful listening to people describe to me what that exam is like. Makes me want to, it's like almost just as bad as the itself. And it happens so soon after usually somebody has been assaulted and it's just so, it's not only painful, excruciating, embarrassing, um, dehumanizing. It's everything that you don't want wrapped up in one, you know, right. two hour session. Um, and I know it has done because of what we just talked about. Like it is so mm-hmm. hard to prove, uh, but good grief. That's not anything I would wish on anyone. Yeah. I, I, understand absolutely why a lot of people don't say anything because you're reliving it all the time. And even that's probably, that's probably why a lot of people stay silent or maybe they only tell one person because every time you tell that story, you're reopening that wound. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people necessarily understand that or now that, you know, there are these stories that are coming out almost every day of, you know, some other public figure who is being uh, accused of harassment or assault, you're in some ways being re-traumatized. And I'm not saying that lightly. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people no. don't understand, you know, that the more that these conversations are happening too in workplaces or, you know, amongst friends you are most likely sitting in the company of someone who has been harassed or assaulted. And to, you know, how, how do you handle those situations too? Even if maybe you don't know if someone has, or if you do, you know, what are, what are some good rules of thumb? Like I'm, I guess too, I'm asking if I am with a a group of trusted people and Mm -hmm this conversation comes up and maybe I recognize either in myself or in another person that this, that this conversation is going wrong. You know, you can tell with some, you know, body language and whatever, what would be a good way to either, you know, to take care of myself or to also take care of someone else in that situation. Yeah. Excellent. So there's this, this term called Vegas trauma. And it means that you take on somebody's trauma almost as your own, but it, and it's also called secondary. So the trauma didn't happen to you firsthand. It 
it, you are experiencing, you are feeling it deeply. This is often people who are extremely empathetic and those are certain personality people and who are probably aware that they're very um, sensitive to these topics. So even if it didn't happen to you, and I think for people who do experience the secondary trauma, they feel almost ashamed or embarrassed about it because it's like, well, wait, this didn't even happen to me. Why? Right. So again, like, like we've talked about trying to explain it away or, or this doesn't the narrative because this actually this event actually didn't happen to me I shouldn't be feeling this way both of those statements are wrong <laughs> like mm-hmm. of course especially if you recognize that self yeah yeah you're gonna feel you're you're almost going to in a sense feel pain and that is a very real thing that, that isn't anything you're not trying to take away you're not comparing with somebody being like oh yeah that makes me feel bad too absolutely not it's just you're the type of person that will tend to take it on and so recognizing that and also with people who have similar experiences or where if somebody's sharing a story all of a sudden they're triggered to a past event that happened to them or a close family member. And it really puts them into a tailspin of like, I did, you know, that hot flash in your face. That's a very common Mm -hmm. reaction when somebody's talking about a traumatic event that really affects. I'm sure you've felt this kind of sensation before, but where your face just goes hot minute and kind of flashes and you can recognize in yourself, like, I'm not good. You're breathing is more shallow there might be an element where you feel like I might have a panic attack even if you've never had one Mm -hmm. um so really being able to recognize in yourself like being super in tune with your body and nobody's gonna say once you say you know what this is a conversation I'm not ready to have right now I promise you I've never ever heard of an instance where somebody said well yes you are you know, nobody's going to respond. Well, yeah, you are. You're totally ready for this conversation. No, no. Right. Anybody that cares about you in the sleep, even a stranger would be like, okay, yeah, totally. That's cool. I respect you. But not paying attention to yourself, not saying like, okay, this is making feel- me feel weird. But like, th- I don't feel like this is a conversation I can have right now. Let's talk about something else. Um, and even if it's the person that's trying to share their own personal feelings, validate that. Like, I totally hear what you're saying. Sometimes you and I have a conversation about maybe, you know, what happened or where you're at in your journey with all of this, because I actually care a lot. It's just something that I'm having a hard time with right now or some, you know, because we don't want to devalue somebody else's story. But if it's right. becoming overwhelming, um, Obviously, you can leave the situation too, but that almost draws more attention and creates a little bit more anxiety for you as a person. Um, instead of just stating what it is that you need in that group at the moment, and I can't think of a scenario where somebody would say, "No, actually, you do need to hear this." I don't. That he's going to really hurt you that way. So recognizing that, um, and then when you are kind of away from the situation self-care is really important and getting help that you need. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more, but I hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think that it's really important too, because I feel that, you know, like I was talking about earlier, you know, being in the middle of this conversation that was happening about everything that we're talking about. And it's hard sometimes to know when to say something and when to say silent and when you might not be able to explain right why this might not be the the best place to have this conversation or you might feel that you're about to fall apart you know so right i think and you don't have to explain it you can just say this doesn't feel well the end yeah yeah, you don't. Nobody you needs don't to know, anything. and you don't have to right. prove any type of pain that you have. There's no proving. You can have the pain that you have and not have to prove anybody else in the circle. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really helpful too for people to hear because, and 
in some ways, it's just the preparation for those conversations that in a lot of ways, you know, are inevitable. You know, they, they sneak right. up on you. It's a conversation that you weren't expecting to have with a group of people. And totally. so I think some of those, some of those coping mechanisms are really good for people, you know, to hear beforehand um, of some of those conversations that they've had, or they can think back to conversations they've had in the past and recognize how, you know, maybe they could go about it differently because right. we, and we've talked about that, you know, and you had mentioned um, vicarious trauma and, you know, it's, it is a hard thing to, to recognize that people are, you know, having to deal with this on a daily basis. And, you know, a lot of things mm -hmm. just kind of keep coming up. And what are some things that you would recommend for people who, you know, maybe haven't told their story, maybe have, you know, I think there's a, a sliding scale of some of that where, you know, you can recognize that something has happened to you, but you need something more, you know, and sure. you can, you can be silent and still recognize that you need something more from people. So, you know, something where like, what would be the one thing that no matter what stage you're at, you know, in, uh, being able to vocalize what has happened to you, what would be the one thing that you think all, all people who have experienced harassment and assault that is affecting their daily lives that they should do. Right. I think, and of course this is going to sound super biased because of my own job, but <laughs> really finding a good therapist is key. Um, what I always say is in finding a good therapist, you don't have to like make sure that you're nice to the therapist. If that therapist, is not a good fit for you, you are completely free and allowed to search for somebody who is. And Psychology Today, they have one of listings of therapists in your area, also with like specific areas that these therapists focus on. Some mm. There's groups that really, um, that that's what you feel like would be the most helpful. But what I say when clients come into my office is, you know, we're going to, you know, use this first 30 minutes or so. You're going to tell me what's going on. I'm going to tell you about me. We're going to have a dialogue. Um, and whatever it is that the client shares with me, I need to be able to repeat back to them by saying, you know what, I hear what you're saying. And I really believe that I have something to offer you. Like I have mm. something that's going to help this situation. Because if I don't believe that, outside of my scope, if I don't feel like um, I have enough information about that topic, then I am not going to be like, sure, let's, you know, try to work this out together, both of us on the same, you know, starting right. the same starts. You know, that's not for anyone and it's not ethical and yeah, none of those things. So what I do in those situations, okay, here's a bunch of other numbers. Here's a bunch of other people that I trust. Go find someone that you fit with. Not who you think mm -hmm. is nice, not who you don't want to offend. You have to feel a connection with that person because it doesn't matter if they're the best therapist in the world. If you don't feel comfortable with them or if you are connected with them, therapy is going to flop. And that's just God's mm -hmm. own. It just is. Um, so find that therapist. You have a friend who's sharing with you and you're like, okay, this is big. Then you go with your friend to that therapist and you say, mm -hmm. you know what? You're dealing with a lot of stuff and this is a big deal. And I hear you and I want you to get the best help possible. Why don't we go inside and I'll help you look up therapists online. I'll call and leave a message for you. I'll, I'll go, you know, after church and they've offered like Networks up there. Can I go up there with you while you talk to this person or make a appointment with this person? That, you know, if somebody knows they have a buddy, it just makes it easier. It makes you feel like you're not alone. It all validates like, hey, my feelings right now of like freaking out and not knowing who 
are super valid because my friend sees it or my mom or my sister or my brother. In my case, it was my brother, you know, like, nope, things are not okay. So we're going to go talk to this specific person. There's no way that I would have been able to do that on my own or other people wouldn't have been able to do that on their own. So really be a good friend in that area too. You know, mm-hmm. we've talked about triggers and secondary trauma and things like that. Care of yourself after that. Like if you need to see somebody too, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, yay, that's my job. So I encourage everybody <laughs> <laughs> to go see a therapist. You know, it doesn't matter how long it is, but somebody that can see outside, look in and really help untangle the mess mm-hmm. that you have. And a lot of people... I think recognize that they would benefit from therapy, but I think it's a, it's still a scary place for people to go because if for instance, you have been assaulted by someone who you know, some people would Mm -hmm. find it hard to go and talk to someone who they don't know. And some people find that liberating. And I think for a lot of, of people, they find it very scary because they don't know you. And, you know, so how do you deal with that? And like, what are some, I guess, too, what are some ethical things that, you know, therapists and counselors and, you know, people in your profession abide by that might be some helpful information for people to know who, you know, haven't been well versed in, you know, everything that therapy offers? And, you know, we've talked about websites are really full of information and they guide you through it. I'm probably also just during this conversation, I was thinking, I have this whole very, very specific step-by-step about what happens when you go in, have Mm -hmm. a rape kit done from the moment you walk into the hospital, what happens? And I'll probably put that on my website today um, because that's an important piece. If you know exactly what's going to happen, then that brings some sense of peace. Even though you're dreading, it will. Um, so on these websites, they'll even ask you. So if you call like the National Assault, Sexual Assault Hotline, you're talking to a real person. And that right there can be the first like barrier, you know, between like, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody. Okay, let's try to somebody on the phone. So when you talk on this to somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, that's a lot less intimidating than driving across town and sitting in a stranger's office and talking to them on their couch. That's, that seems intimidating. That seems like that would be more of like step 10 down the road. Yeah. But maybe a step one is getting on the phone and talking to somebody on the hotline and that's intimidating step two is talking to your family who you trust and who's going to give you advice step three kind of down the line and then eventually you'll get to the therapist if you don't feel like you're at a place where you can just call cold call somebody and go meet with them face to face baby steps call the hotline do a chat there's a lot of Safe chats. I would look at the sexual assault hotline. I would look at R A I N N. They're the best at resources. Rape and that's crisis ra- center. That's, yeah, and that's rain.org for those of you. And um, and they they run. Am I right? The National Sexual Assault Hotline. Yes, they're wonderful. And for any of you who were wondering, um, will We'll talk about all of those resources and stuff at the end, along with uh, Aaron's own resources. But it's nice to know, too, some places to trust, you know, um, from someone, as you're saying right now. You know, I think it's helpful for people to know where to go because it's a bit overwhelming. Yeah. So what is the one thing that you would tell someone who has been assaulted or harassed and doesn't really know like what the next 
step is, you know, and, and that's besides therapy and stuff. I mean, like there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe they've made that call to the therapist. Maybe they've talked about it with right. friends, but sometimes you can do all of those things and then you come back to your home, you go into your room and you're all by yourself and you don't know mm-hmm. what to do because I think no matter sometimes, and it's a process, but sometimes the weight is just so heavy and then you're also carrying the weight of other people and what is an important step for people to take when they can recognize that they have done everything that they feel like they can, but it isn't enough. So probably one of the most important things is realizing that you don't have to prove your pain. You don't have to prove anything for what happened to you to be real. There's no proving. And I hope give some sort of peace and release, um, you know, get back to the things that you love doing. It's hard when you initially feel like, okay, I was a victim and this happened to and that can make you go crazy. So getting back to the things that you love, um, I love art therapy, favorite tool with kids, especially they come up with the best. And it gives me such insight as to what they're feeling at the moment. They don't even realize it. It's my favorite trick. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's awesome and it's therapeutic. Music, singing, kind of reclaiming your life. You don't always have pain either. Again, for it to be real or for it to be something traumatic that you experience. You don't have to live there. Don't have to live right. there. It can still be traumatic. It can still be real, but it doesn't have to have the power over your life. And you're not going to give it to it. You give that power to this event or to this person. Gosh, don't. Yeah, and it, it shouldn't have that power. Right, and I think some people uh, who I have even you know witnessed myself, and I can recognize, you know that. It's hard sometimes when something traumatic has happened and when you feel yourself maybe trying to get better and I I don't know if it's a guilt or, you know, what, what that kind of is, but sometimes it feels that, no, I need to still be living in this thing so I can tell people. So it can, you know, because if you're so far removed from it, you've lost some kind of source of your story and your, the story right. of you. And, and I hope that's yeah. right. right. You can't live there and it's okay to get better because like what you were, you know, what you said, you know, that you don't have to prove your pain. And I think that we are in such a place of proving <laughs> everything our worth, you know, how, you yep. know, how we deserve to even just be in the room or how we deserve this job or, you right. know, and we're proving, you know, constantly proving and it's, you don't have to do it because it just, it is what it is. It is, right. it's real. It's real because it happened. Right. And because I think this might be my, maybe my last little thing, but because trauma, all trauma and this specifically is so unpredictable that's mm-hmm. why it shakes us to our core because trauma is unpredictable go back to the things that are predictable to kind of right you know put you mm-hmm. a little bit more on track because the unpredictable causes you to slip off the track anything unpredictable does and finding activities doing things that you're like i know from start to finish, this is what this activity is going to look like. Or this, you know, I'm going to school and going to this class and I know how this class is run because this professor, whatever. Finding the predictable again can really help kind of like even it out, I guess, is what I'm saying. It makes sense, though. It, yeah. It absolutely, yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, and what are some additional uh, resources? I know we kind of talked about this a little bit not too long ago, but um, what are some of your go-to resources uh, that you 
recommend to your clients or anyone else who has, uh, you know, been a survivor of this? Right. Um, there's also a really great, it's online, it's called Wings. So how it is, W-I-N-G-S. And it's like adult survivors of um, sexual abuse, sexual assault. And mm-hmm. sometimes I don't really tap into that. You know, a lot of times I do have adult clients come in and I would say most of my clients that I see have had some sort of sexual trauma. They were younger and just never dealt with it. So we're not even, we're talking about historical trauma versus current trauma, but that's still, mm-hmm. it, it takes on a different form of pain, but it's still pain. Um, so that also is kind of a little bit outside the scope of what we're talking about, but I feel like it's important. Pain is, is definitely my go-to. Um, the racist hotline, the, all these uh, rape crisis across the United States easy to find they're all 1-800 um, so those are the main ones that I do and the National Sexual Assault Hotline it is 1-800-656-4673 and Aaron's uh, recommendation to Avrain uh, that is R-A-I-N-N dot org And friend, what would you, we talked a lot about people who, you know, maybe are seeking things because they've owned their stories and what they, you know, has happened to them and, you know, whatever. And what is uh, something that we can offer to people who weren't part of the Me Too movement? And yes, that's by their own, you know, it is absolutely their own choice. What is what are some words of advice that you have for those people? I that I have tremendous respect for people who chose not to um, use that hashtag. There's nothing that um, makes you as a survivor um, any less. If you chose not to put that hashtag on your status, on your Twitter, and I'm those of you who made that choice, I have tremendous respect for you. I honor your decision. Um, it doesn't devalue your pain. Again, we're talking about our pain. It, you know, that doesn't indicate, that, oh, once I put that out there, that means that um, what I experienced is real. What you experienced is real no matter what you say to anybody, no matter what you don't say to anybody. Um, but definitely out in some way, even if it's just one friend, even if it's to um, a crisis counselor on the phone, a chat group, anything to just not carry that on your own. But for sure, there's nobody is requiring you to put hashtag if that's not something that you want to do. So I respect that. Yeah, I think it's an important thing for people to hear because I think a lot of what's happened lately uh, seems to be that there has to be one kind of woman. There has to be one kind of, you know, it's, and I think that is an incredibly harmful narrative. And so I really want people to hear what Aaron just said and Mm. know that your story is your story alone. And yes, please, you know, it's, It's not good for you to hold all of that by yourself, but you don't have to partake in any larger movement or whatever if you don't want to. That's right. So, um, Erin, where can, where can people find you? Oh, yes. Um, okay. So, uh, probably the best ways, and like I said, I'm going to probably put up one of those, um, links on my, but it's. Acacia, and that's spelled A-C-A-I-A, Christian Counseling. And it's a Facebook page, and it has a bunch of resources for a lot of things, not for what we're talking about today. I have parenting resources. I have a lot of things helping kids and teens with anxiety and depression. Um, so find like a whole group of stuff. Um, but scroll through 
um, to see something that uh, definitely um, speaks to you. And then same words, Christian counseling, um, www.acaciachristiancounseling.com. And Acacia Christian counseling is all one word. And that's my website. I love it. And uh, I'll have a link on Babe Cave's Facebook page too, um, linking awesome. to Aaron's stuff. So if, you know, I'll make it easy on everyone because uh, that's how it should be. But friend, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me because yes. it's, a, it's a tough conversation. And we had talked also about how we wanted to, mm -hmm. when we came to this topic, that we wanted to approach it in a way that would be helpful and meaningful and offering something that we could be proud of that responsibility that we have, because it's a tremendous responsibility to talk about this. And I know neither of us take it lightly. Right. And so I, I do, I really appreciate the, the conversation and the insights that you have. And I feel like you added a depth to this that I couldn't have done on my own. Absolutely. I think, I think the way that you presented it was both honoring and meaningful and respectful to anybody that's experienced this. And I feel honored that you asked me to be a part of it. So thank you. And I love you. <laughs> I love you. And you know, we'll have to have you back on the show very soon. I would love that. Awesome. And thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that you will sit in a recognition that whatever has happened to you is real and you are supported and you have a community of people. That is what Babe Cave is. And please find me on Facebook and Instagram at Babe Cave Studios and let me know how you feel that I handled this, you know, topic or, you know, things that maybe you want to see more of, you know, maybe if you, if you want to have more of these type stories, please let me know because this is, this is for you guys. So thank you so much. And I can't wait to be with you next week. <laughs>